It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Friday night? This feels a little bit different, Ryan Talbot. Uh, I feel like we're about to be in season. It has a, a vibe, uh, a in-season vibe, and we're about to be coming to you every day from training camp. Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. Welcome into the show on this Friday. We didn't have a Wednesday episode. I was, I was texting with you earlier this week as uh, me and my family were driving to New York City for a quick last getaway before camp, and I'm like, we teased a pretty fun show on Wednesday, and I'm going to be gone. I'm on vacation, so that's my fault. I dropped the ball. Matt Perino joined, as always, by Ryan Talbot, but we have some fun plans uh, as we move into next week. We'll get into some of that tonight. Ryan, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. Like you said, you know, we're getting close to training camp, so you had to squeeze in that one last family vacation. Completely understandable. Yeah, and it was it was a fun one. It's it was nice to be in in New York City, lively New York City uh, after the last year and a half of the pandemic. I felt like it was the perfect way to close down uh, this uh, this break before we get into football. And, and it, it, we are about to get into it. We are a couple days away, and today's show is specifically geared towards discussing some of the top storylines. So we're going to be putting out an article a day starting today, a little bit later today. Um, on all the top storylines heading in to Wednesday start of training camp. And we, we, we circled five that we're going to get into here today. But if you guys have anything that we don't cover that you want us to cover, start, start lighting up the chat room. You guys do a really good job of that over on YouTube, and we can get into that as well. Uh, we are the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Tops Fresh Burger Bar with over 30 varieties of beef, Turkey, chicken, plant-based, and gourmet blend burgers ready to grill. Top's Fresh Burger Bar has you smiling all summer long. And listen, Ryan, Bills fans have a lot of reasons to smile right now. Because as you're entering into, uh, you know, probably really, if you go back to the start of last season, I don't think anybody would have argued 2020 was the start of a Super Bowl window. There was a little bit of a wait and see, right? Like, how good is this team going to be? But you get into the season and you make it to the AFC Championship and almost pry open that door to a Super Bowl window. And now we're sitting here in front of a 2021 season. And that Super Bowl window seems to me to be wide open. I want to start there. How much... Are you thinking that this team is a true Super Bowl contender? Before we get into this first topic, just based on football alone. Just based on football alone, I think they, they're a top four, top five legitimate contender for the Super Bowl in, in the entire league. Uh, they were in the AFC Championship game one year ago, and you look over this roster, their biggest names that they could have lost in free agency were Matt Milano, Darrell Williams, John Feliciano. All three were re-signed. Uh, they end up cutting John Brown, re replacing him with Emmanuel Sanders. 
They added reinforcements to their defensive line, hoping to upgrade their pass rush, which was one of their biggest problems, especially in the championship game last year. So I think this is a team that is poised to make another run, not only to the AFC championship, but also to the Super Bowl. That's where things get a little bit interesting as we set the table for all of this, because I think you'd have to be living under a rock to have not noticed you know, the, the social media activity, I think the bills, when it comes to the whole COVID vaccination topic, you know, nationally speaking, have probably been the most prominent organization in terms of their players, you know, being outspoken, Cole Beasley, probably the poster child for that uh, movement. And I think that, I don't even want to say movement, but just getting out there and, and put, making your feelings known, right or wrong, However, you kind of side on that topic, you know, Cole Beasley has made a point to come out and let everybody know where he stands on this topic. He wasn't happy when the NFL released its COVID protocols. I think that, you know, if you are a player that's deciding not to get vaccinated, you know, it's you know going through another season like last year, the daily tests, the masking, the physical distancing. I, I can understand putting myself in his shoes. Uh, if you believe you don't want to get vaccinated, why you wouldn't want to go through another season like that. And we'll get into all of this, you know, in a little bit. But over the last couple of days, Ryan, I mean, this thing has gotten supercharged. I mean, if you go back to the start of training camp or mini camp throughout the whole OTAs and then through mini camp, the, the, the company line coming from Bill's players was we do not want to talk about it. You know, we don't want to be, we're not going to talk about the, whether or not we're vaccinated. This is an in-house thing. We're having healthy conversations and then we're going to leave it at that. And most people left it there. And if you remember Cole Beasley, a guy that's been pretty outspoken on the topic, didn't make any uh, press conference appearance. And he, he said today that he wasn't given the opportunity uh, to, uh, to have a media scrum during that, that period. But I guess the first storyline is no matter where you land on this thing, and I know that there's COVID fatigue. There's certainly vaccination fatigue when it comes to social media. If you've been on, you know, in the, in the thick of it, but this is a topic, the NFL released its operating procedures for uh, in a memo to teams yesterday uh, that pretty much covered what's going to happen. Should a player or a cluster of players that who are unvaccinated, if there is a out, uh, an outbreak of the uh, of the disease. What happens in that circumstance? And they laid out, you know, what's going to happen financially. Who's going to be responsible? What's going to happen to the game itself? Is it going to get moved? Is it going to? We'll go over that a little bit too. But this is this is a bit of a a mess right now. Just looking from the outside, looking in. Where do you fall, Ryan, on how big of an issue this has the potential to be? Well, based on the NFL guidelines, it, it could eventually become a big issue. But in, in terms of the Bills players being very outspoken on social media, I, I'm not worried too much about that right now because I think once training camp begins, once you get into the groove of getting ready for this season, I think you're going to see a lot of those players get off of social media. You're not going to necessarily hear Cole Beasley uh, and his thoughts daily. You're not going to hear from John Feliciano or, or even Jerry Hughes, who had the opposite stance, talking about, uh, why you know why he ended up getting the vaccination following the rules that the NFL is putting out there. I think once all that begins, that gets put aside. I think that the culture that the team has within that locker room will also keep them in terms of 
uh, having any kind of issues that could come up. I mean, you, you saw the back and forth with Cole Beasley and, and Jerry Hughes, with Jerry Hughes saying, no matter what, you're my guy. Uh, it's pretty much it's okay to disagree on these things. I'm I'm just following these NFL rules, trying to make sure that you we can finish. These, these are his words, finish what they had started last year. So, you, you know, no one's going to agree all the time. And this is a big topic, obviously. And like you said, the NFL pretty much laid out all these rules that lean pretty heavily toward wanting your players to get the vaccination. Uh, because if you don't, there could be some heavy consequences in, in addition to forfeiture. Um, uh, players that test positive, if you're asymptomatic and you have the vaccine, two negative tests within a 24-hour period, you can be activated. If you're not, uh, if you don't have the vaccine, it's a 10-day waiting period, kind of like it was last year. So there was a lot to that. But in terms of the overall locker room, I don't consider this a big deal right now. I'm I'm with you there because I think, you know, when we get into the everyday um, football part of this thing, a lot of that extra stuff goes away. Micah Hyde talked a little bit about this uh, back when we when we asked him about the potential of this being disruptive. And he said, you know, once we get going, the focus is on football. Jordan Poyer actually said that. And then Micah Hyde used a cool analogy that, you know, once you get in an NFL locker room, the, the conversation tends to be pretty healthy in terms of the debates that are going on in the room, football-related and non-football-related. He said, you know, he, he, he went as far as to say that society can learn a lot from the way that an NFL locker room of, with a bunch of guys from different background, backgrounds navigate these tough topics. And even you saw in the Cole-Jerry back and forth, um, you know, Jerry Hughes, the captain – uh, one of the team's captains from last year, diffusing it a little bit at the end and saying, you're still my guy. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. And I think that, you know, the bottom line of this for me is you go back to minicamp when, you know, some a lot of these questions were being asked of the players in, all, uh, in a lot of these press conferences and, you know, the, the, pre, the, the prevailing sentiment from a lot of fans seemed to be why are you asking about this let's concentrate on football I think the writing was on the wall for what the NFL was going to try to lay out here in terms of go not going through a situation like it had last year where a Tennessee Titans Bills game got strung along for days after days after days you go back to that situation remember Bills fans were irate about how that happened it was the Tennessee Titans who were the ones that were going through the COVID troubles and it ended up impacting the Bills so much that they had to reschedule the game I, I think the Bills even said, a lot of players, it was a very weird game week. I think they want to try to, you know, eliminate that as much as they can. And I think that, you know, you you, you listen to Dr. Alan Sills today. He had a press conference and some of the, um, you know, the numbers that were coming out of that and basically saying that I think it's 80% of the NFL at this point um, is at least, or 70%, I believe. I, I'll, I'll circle back and check the number on that it has at least one shot. And if you've had COVID already, if you have a shot, you're considered fully vaccinated uh, because of where they are with, the, I believe, the Pfizer vaccine. Um, listen, this is a complicated topic, but you go back to some of the situations that happened last year, and now you look at what the NFL has done, right or wrong, to lay out the path for 2021. Check this out, Ryan. You know, you go back to, you know, the fact that if you forfeit a game, in the loss column, in terms of playoff seeding, the team that had the outbreak for unvaccinated players, if that's the case, gets a loss in that game. 
the team that did it gets a win. So if you're talking about a December game in a very tight playoff race, divisional race potentially, between the Patriots and the Bills, and that week there is a outbreak amongst the Bills players that whoever it is, whether it be you know COVID, Cole Beasley or whoever else that's unvaccinated, that is a loss, and that could potentially impact the division. You start thinking about those things, and that's where I think it really comes back to why this is such a football topic when you break it all down. Yeah, and not just within the division. I mean, playoff seating alone, if the Bills feel like they're going to be in that 13-14 win uh, situation competing for that number one seed, if your team does have this outbreak and the game cannot be rescheduled, that's a loss that maybe it was a game where when you look at it on paper, it's a game, well, the Bills are going to win that game. Uh, the other teams doesn't have much of a quarterback. It doesn't have this, that, or the other. So, yeah, there's a lot of situations that could arise out of this. And then that's not even to mention the loss of salary for both teams. The, even the team that gets the win in the win column, their players don't get paid for that individual week. So could problems arise league-wide over this? Absolutely. But right now, I'm just going, you know, I just think it's kind of a wait and see. I think that Bill's players are going to go into camp. You're going to see a lot of the social media aspects of it kind of go away, which is probably for the best when it comes to what we've been seeing as of late. Indeed. Uh, We're going to get more into that as we move along, and I'm sure we start talking to some of these players. I mean, Cole Beasley's first media availability once camp starts should be uh, uh, very interesting to see how this thing progresses and we'll get more into it, but let's veer back towards, you know, the positive part of things. I mean, you do have a Super Bowl caliber roster, like we're, we were talking about. And I think one of the most interesting position groups to cover in training camp. And then the preseason is this defensive line with all these new faces, you know, some old faces back in the mix, Starla Tulele. And I think breaking it down, you know, it is going to be one of the more fun parts of camp because there's so many different ways that this that, that these position battles can go that could shape the roster at that position spot. And I think when we were talking about this, Ryan, you said you you circled that on your uh, on your packet and said, listen, the Bills defensive line, you know, that's pretty interesting. Let's make a little sense of this at the top. Who who do you envision as being, you know, the four most impactful guys you know, on the line and, you know, let's, let's go position by position. We'll, we'll go two defensive ends and two defensive tackles. Well, in terms of most impactful, I think you still have Jerry Hughes. He's the player that still provides that bend, still provides the pressures. Uh, you have Ed Oliver, a player that needs to break out this year, in my opinion, and more on that here in a little bit. I think what Star Latulale does for the team in terms of stopping the run and helping free things up for the linebackers makes him added to that list. And I'll go with A.J. Epinesa for, for number four, uh, the other defensive end. I, I think coming into year two, having a year in the system under his belt, being at the playing weight that the Bills want him to be at, not having to lose the weight in season like one year ago, I think that he could really end up being a pretty big impact player for this defensive line in 2021. What about you? Did you say um, Star and Ed in the on the inside? I did. Okay. Um, I like your four, and I, I'm actually going to agree with you on Epinesa because I think that he's trending to be to potentially be the snap leader, snap count leader at defensive end, maybe even outpacing Jerry Hughes this year. I think he's a guy that if he has a strong August I, and they and, and can build confidence among the coaches, which I think he's already done a good job of doing that. 
I think that they're going to lean on him quite a bit as some of these younger players not only try to find their role, but also get comfortable with the speed of the game. Uh, the one cool thing for guys like Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham is they're going to have those preseason games to get them get their feet wet. But I'm going to flip out Star Latulale and I'm going to flip in Harrison Phillips. And there's a couple reasons for this. I think that Star Latulale is going to be that rock on the defensive line. But if you're talking about potential impact player, I think that Harrison Phil- Phillips' upside at this stage of his career is greater than Star Latulale's, especially with a year out of football. Can we get to the end of the 2021 season and see Star Latulale as, you know, uh, the best uh, one-tech defensive tackle on this team? No doubt about it. But I think the versatility that Harrison Phillips brings to be able to be that that number one back up to star at one tech and then flip to the other side and rush the passer as a three tech. I mean, he's beefed up. I, I've seen some pictures of him since that big bulky one that, that made some uh, headway on, on social media where, you know, I don't think he's as bulked up as maybe that picture showed, but I think he's got the ability to, you know, play both spots, you know, and give them – the opportunity to maybe move on from a guy like Vernon Butler. We talked about this on the last show. And I think that that's going to be the really intriguing part of this interior battle is can Vernon Butler make himself, you know, uncuttable with the way that he performs this summer. I have my doubts about that. Yeah. And I think that's fair to have those doubts. I I think that he was very underwhelming in year one with Buffalo. Uh, He had to accept a pay cut to remain on this roster. Now there were a few weeks where he kind of hit his stride and looked a little bit better than what we have seen out of him. Uh, But overall, like I said, he didn't match the expectations of what I think the bills had envisioned for him one year ago. So I think it's a really big summer for him coming up. And at the defensive end spot, I'm going to say that F.A. Obata needs a pretty big summer. Uh, When he was originally signed in free agency, I thought that he had a path to some significant playing time coming off of his best year in Carolina, uh, knowing obviously Buffalo's defensive line coach, versatility play inside outside. But then you go and you add defensive ends in the first and second round of this year's draft, and all of a sudden you say, okay, there's Hughes, there's Addison, there's Epinesa. Now you have Rousseau and Basham. Where does F.A. Obata fit into this equation? He almost has to come out and show that he's uncuttable this summer as well. Uh, you Great, great uh, point bringing up F.A. Obata, but you froze in the middle of that, and that mm-hmm. face is going to be <laughs> my next uh, uh, profile picture. But that's aside. I'm so excited. So you're going to be up here in a week and a half, right? July thirty first, you guys are coming up. Yep, coming and, up for the camp. Okay, so you'll come up for the practice. We'll cover the practice, and then mm-hmm. are you going back that night, or are you going to stay overnight? We are actually doing a few different things. We're we're that going from there to Rochester to the Museum of Play, Ooh. and then then it's my it's at thirty first is actually my wife's birthday, so she's being a trooper about the the first part there with the the training camp practice. <laughs> but then we're going to her best friend's place in Canandaigua for her son's first birthday party. So pretty busy. But then I'll be up there again for the return of the. Blue and uh, you know, blue and red or whatever it is, yeah, and yeah. cover that one too. And we will probably stay up there for the day that day. That's awesome. We're so excited to uh, to see you guys. Hopefully, we can uh, uh, work in a little visit with uh, the kiddos. And thirty um, first is actually my son's birthday as well, so they, maybe we'll give them a little joint cake or something. Um, so I want to. I, I almost knocked my my whole 
just that's going to happen one of these times when I use the corded mic. I'm going to like because I use my hands a lot. I'm going to hit this and it's going to come flying off. Um, so Jason Taylor asked a great question about, uh, about training camp. How much video are you all going to be able to provide? A lot of video, especially on the days that Ryan's out there as well. We will we'll try to get as much stuff as we can get and then try to integrate that into the show as much as we can as well. It's tough because we put this um, on audio afterwards. So maybe we'll do like a special section at the beginning of each recap show where we can get some video to you guys and, and, and bring it up uh, right in the YouTube chat. And then I'll edit that out for the audio version after the fact. All right. We're brought to you by Top Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Uh, spend more time enjoying everything that summer has to offer and less time worrying about getting to the store with Top's pickup and delivery. Shop for your groceries online. Choose pickup or delivery and Top's will bring the groceries right to you. Visit topsmarkets.com to get started. All right. We're cruising through our, our big camp storylines. We've, we've covered two already. And the next one I think is going to be the, the most fun position battle to break down daily. I think that the updates coming out of training camp from Levi Wallace's reps versus Dane Jackson's reps at cornerback number two are going to be the talk of Twitter uh, most days because mm -hmm. that to me is a, a position uh, that I, I think that there's a section of the fan base that's really concerned about CB2. But I'm sitting back here and saying no matter who wins that CB2 battle between Levi and Dane Jackson, I think the Bills are sitting pretty with whoever that is. And that that's partly because of how high I am on Dane Jackson. I'm projecting him to win the job, but also how comfortable I am. If it ends up being Levi Wallace and they have to make uh, a move elsewhere after the fact, if, if Levi Wallace for some reason isn't performing, but he's been a guy that if you go back through the, uh, you know, the, the tape or rewatch the games, Levi Wallace is, he, he gives you a pretty consistent baseline for what he's able to do as CB2. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I think the Bills fans should be more comfortable with that battle than they probably are. When you look at Levi Wallace, starting with him over the last few years, saying, well, he gives up a lot of receptions, he gives up a lot of catches, this, that, and the other. It's going to happen when you have a legitimate cornerback number one. Teams don't throw a lot at Trey White. So, of course, Levi Wallace is going to get a lot of action. And it's going to be the same situation if it's Dane Jackson. Whoever wins that job is going to see a lot of action in 2021 because they have a legitimate number one lockdown cornerback. So that player only sees a few passes per game. The workload is going to go against them. So it is going to be up to Levi Wallace or Dane Jackson, whoever wins the job, to come up with some more pass breakups, make some more splash plays here and there. But in terms of giving up the catches and the yards, that's to be expected overall. In terms of how I see this shaking out, I'm with you. I'm leaning a little bit toward Dane Jackson finally unseating uh, Levi Wallace for that job. I just go back to his rookie year, and every time he ended up in that lineup, whether it was a game that he was prepared to get in there or it was a game where an injury occurred and he was forced into the lineup, he shined. He looked great. Interception against the Jets. Pass breakup against the Cardinals. Week before that, coming in one-on-one -on -one against DK Metcalf. Metcalf gets the quick ball out, and, and he's tackling him immediately. Every time his number was called upon, Dane Jackson stepped up. And Brandon Bean this offseason was just gushing about Jackson being a gamer, being someone that doesn't have those intangibles. When he's on the field, he makes plays on the PFF podcast. So I, I think that the Bills want to see what Dane Jackson can do in year two. I think there are high hopes there. 
But regardless of how this all shakes out, I think the Bills fans should feel more confident about that number two job than they may right now on this date. You put up a story, uh, I believe it was a couple days ago, Steven Nelson hinting that maybe his free agency was going to come to an end. I see a comment on here, any momentum on that front. He said a day or two, we still haven't heard. Um, Where are you at in terms of the Bills being potentially in play? I know he's liked a couple tweets there, but the more and more I look at this and think about it, is there – I mean, I know that they always want to add competition, but what, wouldn't they have added that veteran presence by now? Or do you think that it's not too late in the game, that they still can bring in a guy like Steven Nelson and add him to the competition and, and want that type of depth at the position? Because I think if you do look past Levi and Dane, Cam uh, Lewis is a good player, bit unproven, uh, but a guy that's had really good moments. And – do you want to add depth there? I mean, if you're the Bills. Yeah, you want to add depth, absolutely, at any position that you can. But, you know, I, I would argue that it may would, may not be fair to Nelson or another cornerback because they're coming in a week before a training camp, then having to learn the playbook and get on the field and pretty much be uh, an impact player out of the gate for them to win that job. So in, in terms of the time frame, yeah, ideally the Bills would have signed him or another cornerback wanted to a few weeks ago. So, in that regard, I agree with you completely. Uh, Nelson, I, I don't know. I There were obviously talks back in May. The Bills were one of many teams. I want to say it was 14 teams that had showed interest in him, but it was money at the time. He wanted a lot more money than teams were offering. And then, like you said, he put on social media something about tonight or tomorrow, and then the next thing you know, he deleted his social media. It's back up now. But I thought, okay, maybe he deactivated it so that way he could change his profile picture come back up with like the logo of the new team on there didn't happen. So I don't know what that was about. Maybe it had nothing to do with football with the tonight or tomorrow talk, uh, but he's got to sign somewhere soon. The latest reports are not with him signing with Buffalo. It's either the Eagles or the Pittsburgh Steelers resigning there. You know, we'll see if either of those end up being the case. Pittsburgh probably makes the most sense in terms of knowing the system, knowing the playbook, being able to step right in, especially if he wasn't happy with the other contract offers that he had out there at the time. Eagles need some cornerback help, so that makes sense too. But uh, I think that the Bills are out on him. Uh, If they do end up signing him, it's a good signing. I think Nelson's a solid cornerback who's gotten better year after year. But it comes down to the time factor. Can you Do you really think that if he comes in now, July 23rd or tomorrow, July 24th, can he get the playbook under his belt, learn the system, learn the plays, and beat out Levi Wallace, who's been here for multiple years, or Dane Jackson entering year two, who's flashed and the coaching staff is high on? It's one of those, you know, wait and see type scenarios, but I, I would be surprised. Um, moving right along here, uh, I think that uh, in the comments, uh, starting to think uh, Zach Moss, number one in the running back competition. And I think that that's a big storyline entering. It's it's strange that a team that is so predicated on the past to have the kind of um, energy around that running back conversation all offseason long. Uh, it, it's remained pretty high interest when it comes to who's going to be the guy at running back. How is that competition going to shake out? And I think that that's our four-star storyline that I want to dive into a little bit. Um, I think it's it's interesting. You look at Devin Singletary and what he was able to do in the second half of that of his rookie season. I'm expecting that version of Devin Singletary to show up to training camp. And I think that 
the, 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 although I talked about it on the last show, how high I am on Zach Moss and what he could potentially mean in this backfield and to be maybe potentially that number one running back, he's got to stay healthy. And that's a question that he has to answer this season. And the more carries you get and the more punishment that you take, uh, especially if he's able to contribute in the passing game as well, which I have no doubt that he'll be able to do that. The, the durability becomes a real question. And so I think at this p- stage going into the thing, I'm certainly projecting Zach Moss at this point, I think for me to beat out a very game Devin Singletary for that number one running back role. But I also think Ryan, no matter who ends up getting the bulk of the carries, this is still going to be a pretty even split between these two guys once they get to football on Sundays in the regular season. Yeah, I agree. And and I'm not going to lie. I think this is the one position where I truly have no idea how this is going to shake out. I think at the end of last year, the Bills were leaning towards Zach Moss being their running, their number one running back. Then he goes down with the ankle injury uh, or the, you know, the injury against the Colts and he was out for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, He was rehabbing from that in the off season. How he comes back from that is going to be interesting. And like you said, he has a, a injury history from his days at Utah coming now into the league as well. So uh, availability is so important to the Bills and to the NFL in general that if these little nagging injuries or these injuries keep popping up, eventually they are going to say, listen, we can't depend on this guy to be our number one guy. He might be able to end up being a change of pace player, but entering year two, I think he has a shot to claim that job to give him one more chance to show what he can do. Singletary has clearly bulked up this offseason based on pictures we've seen. We've heard from reps saying that he has added to his explosiveness. Uh, I still don't think that solves the having the extra gear to break away necessarily, but if he is slightly more explosive, if he can make a few more big plays per year, that could end up working in his favor. You have Brita still that needs to be in, in this conversation. It's going to be interesting to see how he looks at training camp compared to Moss and Singletary. Uh, we know that he could end up being a factor catching the ball out of the backfield. He has that speed that those two lack. And I'm still not ready to give up on Antonio Williams factoring into this backfield as well. I know it was one game in week 17 against the Dolphins, but the Bills really liked Antonio Williams. They kept him on their practice squad uh, over and over and over again after they had to cut him to bring in someone else for due to injuries. He was always back the following week or, or as soon as possible. They saw something in him. He has special teams experience. So maybe that is how he starts out year two as being a special teams contributor. So even he could end up factoring into this. This is the one position that I truly think is a wild card in terms of how it's going to shake out this summer. I thought it was interesting that Brian Dable went out of his way to specifically mention Matt Breida after just a few weeks with him. I think that there is a they hold him in a in a high regard. And if you look at the history of this offense and this coaching staff, what what do they put a premium on? Pretty consistently. Speed. They want speed. And I think he's the one guy in that group, that cluster that offers the speed with NFL proven experience. There's another guy in that in that group that brings some speed too, and that's Christian Wade. And I think he's going to be one of the more uh, fun storylines to track as well. A fan favorite, a guy that every time you see something social media wise that the Bills put out with him, it's a hit. I mean, the guy has such an energy about him and not only an energy about him personally, but as a football player, I mean, he's a highlight real type of player. I mean, you, I know he was playing up against third uh, stringers in, in those two big touchdown runs 
Uh, one was a touchdown run, another one was stopped a little bit short. But that's that's talent. That's something that you can't teach. That, that home run ability that is so coveted. Uh, those big time plays. That's something that if he's able to get more of an opportunity in the preseason to show his stuff, I wouldn't put it, you know, out of um, the realms of possibility that he can at least make things interesting when it comes to roster cut down day. Uh, I, you know, I could see it. He, the only thing working against him is his age. He is 30 years old. When you look at those other backfield options, they're all significantly younger. I want to say breed is still like mid twenties as well. 25, 26 range. Um, so the age works against him. He's 30 years old. He has, but he has the least amount of, of tread probably taken off the tires as well. I know he played rugby. That's a very physical sport. He was learning the game too. That's the one thing when you mentioned the, the long touchdown run, the reception that got stopped around the one or the two yard line, he was still learning the game. Had he known more about football, that reception would have gone for a touchdown because he would have followed his blockers. He wasn't following his blockers on that play, and that's why he was stopped. So he's had a few years to not just learn the playbook, but learn the ins and outs of the NFL. So he's going to have a legitimate shot to make an impact, to get a chance to earn some playing time here. Um, but if, if it doesn't happen this year, I, j- I just think it's time for the Bills to move on, despite the fact that they could keep him on the practice squad is that 11th member due to an NFL rule allowing that for an extra year. It, it seemed like it was going to be the last year uh, in 2020, but they've extended that. So at this point, are you going to keep a guy that's 30 around and see what he can do as he's a 31-year-old? Or do you let him cut ties with him and maybe see if he can latch on somewhere else? So really big summer for him as well. I just think the age works against him. Mm-hmm. I saw one comment in here, and we didn't have the offensive line as a specific storyline entering just because there's so much stability on that line. I mean, they're bringing back four, pretty much four guaranteed starters in Mitch Morris, Deion Dawkins, uh, Daryl Williams, and John Feliciano, you'd expect. And then it's probably a competition for that left guard spot. I saw a video that Cody Ford posted on social media, uh, kind of the comeback, the come up. Um, get, you know, rehabbing, getting, getting all the training work done. And, you know, you really think about what he's gone through to get back, but, and, and you respect that a ton, but I, I think that he still has a, a couple hurdles in his way. And, you know, you look at a guy like Forrest Lamp, who in a lot of ways figured some things out last year, will play with the most talent that he's ever been around with this Buffalo group this year. And I think that you throw him into the mix, you throw Ike Bucker into the mix. And I think Cody Ford going into this thing, if you're projecting that left guard spot, if I'm picking Cody Ford to win the job, it's based on the fact that he was a second round draft pick. And that's probably the only reason I do it. I think that's fair. Uh, I think that Brandon Bean, though, is still high on him. He's gone to bat for Cody Ford saying, you know, it's not fair uh, that he's had these injuries and things have worked against him. He, He was moved around a little bit rookie year, tackle guard position. Uh, he settled in now at guard, so he kind of has an idea of what his responsibilities are. But, yeah, we haven't really seen enough out of him in two years to truly say he deserves to be the favorite to start. Now, it could all come together in, in year three, and it could be just like what Daryl Williams did last year where he's the starter on day one of training camp at the guard spot, and he never looks back. He's just the best player at the position and ends up not being a competition. But you have Ike Butker. You have a player that had significant playing time, uh, last year, starting experience now, and he's been on this roster for a few seasons, so you can't look past him. You have Forrest Lamp, 
Uh, Forrest Lamp, maybe not in the same tier as that Ike Butker part of the competition because there's been injuries with his career as well. Last year was the first full year that he that he's played. He was had some ups and downs, but you just never know how a player is going to fit into a new system. And and there was a reason that he was a day two pick a few years back as well. So that's going to be an intriguing battle. But like you said, those other four spots they seem pretty well locked down. Thank you to everyone that is here watching uh, across all the platforms: YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, special thank you. The chat is popping as usual. Uh, hit that like button on the video if you could help us out. Also, that subscribe button as well. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how that uh, plays out because you know this this offensive line. I think that that could be the key ingredient to getting this run game going consistently. Um, you know, depending on who's back there. Uh, Elliot uh, Eisler checking in over on Facebook. He watches on all the platforms. Uh, our guy, thank you so much. All right, this last topic that we're going to get into here is a fun one. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, it's 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 this kind of year for both of these players. But I think getting into the the nuance of who twenty twenty one, who does it mean more to? And I think that between Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds, those are two players that depending on who you are in the fan base, different parts of the fan base, you know, there, there's been some disappointment around both of these players and what they've, you know, given in terms of production in their first three years when it comes to Edmonds, two years for Ed Oliver. The, the question, though, that I, that I posed here is which one of these guys, Oliver and Edmonds, which in 2021 – is it a bigger make-or-break year for Oliver or for Tremaine Edmonds? Start us off, Ryan. Yeah, no hesitation. I'm going to say Ed Oliver. Let, let me quickly address the Tremaine Edmonds. Edmonds has flashed in, in his career. Now, I get it. He was a former first-round pick. He may not have met the expectations of the Bills fan base, but he has the respect of teammates in this league, coaches, personalities, a two-time Pro Bowler. And I know Pro Bowl at the end of the day doesn't mean much these days. Uh, but it's still something that he can kind of hang on. Uh, it, it's an accolade for him. You go to the top 10 linebackers in the NFL conversation, and on ESPN, he ends up making the list around the five or six, or towards the end of the list. But one executive had him at number two, somewhere in the top two in the league in terms of what he could be. So there's at least that going for him. There, there's the belief that he's flashed enough that he can end up being a superstar, still younger than some of the rookies the Bills drafted this year, uh, 23 years old going into year four, which is pretty unbelievable. So I think that for that reason, it's not a huge make or break here. You want to see him take the next step, get rid of some of the inconsistencies in his play for sure. But it's a huge make or break year for Ed Oliver. Now, was last year fair to Ed Oliver? No, I'll be the first person to say it. He did not have Star Latulale next to him. The Bills had to play multiple defensive tackles out of place, including Oliver at times. That probably played a big role in him not taking a huge leap in year two. That said, he's now been in the system for multiple years. You have Latulale back. You have some other one-tech options behind him. Uh, so you're hopefully not going to be caught off guard and have to move someone out of place. Oliver can focus on that three-technique spot, but he has to step up big time not just in terms of getting after the quarterback and making splash plays there, because that's part of it. I need to see some more consistency out of him in terms of the 
run defense as well, which should on paper be a little bit easier with the talent that they have at the ends and Latulale back in the mix. Mm-hmm. When they drafted at Oliver, you know, the, the big, you know, selling point for what he could potentially mean for the bills was his ability to create chaos. We've talked about that over and over and over again. And you go to the stat sheet and go to advanced stats on pro football reference and 25 the bills were like middle a little bit below middle in in terms of pressure total pressures last season of the quarterback and i think that one of the big reasons why is ed oliver left a lot to be desired in that in that category and you know the bills as a team generate pressure with a four-man front i think you got to make sure that you bring that up because the the responsibility falls on the unit leslie frazier talks about this quite a bit 25 pressures for Jerry Hughes. The second most on the team was 16 for Ed Oliver. I think that you need that flip this year. I think Ed Oliver needs to be your team leader in pressures because, listen, at, at, at his age, Jerry Hughes is still going to deliver. We've talked about this. He's he's a guy that's going to probably still come in here and have the potential to lead your team in sex. But when you're talking about causing the chaos, and this is why I agree with you that I think it's a bigger make-or-break year for Ed Oliver – Ed Oliver has to be that consistent guy winning one-on-ones. There's no excuses left now. Starla Tulele is back in the mix. Harrison Ford's expected to be more apt to perform coming now in year two following that ACL injury. You need Ed Oliver to be in the backfield causing a lot of problems. And I think that cures a lot of ills that that's happening. You're, you're Whatever happens with cornerback two, you have Pro Bowl caliber uh, talent and I'd argue all pro caliber talent across the board with Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, and obviously Tredavious White. That if you're getting that push up the middle, and then Sean McDermott has consistently said that's where it can be the most troublesome on a quarterback because it's coming right in his face. That makes everybody else on the field, including Tremaine Edmonds, better. It starts at the spear, you know, you know, the tip of the spear, right? That's the the cliche that Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier throw throw around. Ed Oliver was drafted to be the tip of the spear. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it doesn't mean that he has to get quarterback sacks. Like you said, pressures are important in this game. If he can simply move a quarterback off of his spot and, and he can push the offensive lineman uh, into the backfield, that can play a significant role in terms of breaking up what was supposed to be who, you know, who the number one receiver was on that play or making the quarterback go elsewhere, throwing the ball away it doesn't always have to result in a sack or some huge splash play, but you need to see Ed Oliver get into the backfield more often, really throw those quarter uh, quarterbacks off so that way the Bills can get in on and off the field more often and those three and outs, keep the defense fresh, and then let the offense do what they did one year ago and really make the other teams have to get into a more predictable, throw-it-type mode because the Bills can build a comfortable lead on offense. I think... Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano have a chance to light the league on fire this year. Like if they could stay healthy with the way that this defense now has a couple things going for it from a continuity perspective among the coaching staff and among the players at all three levels. I mean, they're adding in some pieces here and there. You're talking about, you know, a lot of rookies on the defensive line with uh, Boogie Basham and Greg Rousseau and second year player AJ Apinesa. But for the most part, other than that, this is a veteran laden group so I I think that Tremaine Edmonds this year to me feels like year three felt with Josh Allen and it might have taken a little bit longer and 
I think in a lot of ways you you you'd probably argue it would it should have been longer and harder for Josh Allen, but I can see why it's taken a little bit longer for Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, they came in and had the similarities of being raw, but you know, Tremaine Edmonds, I think has a little bit more, uh, I think early on, you go back to their rookie year, he flashed more consistency than Josh Allen. But I felt, I feel like it kind of stayed on that line for a while as he was figuring things out. You go back to year two before the injury. And I thought that Edmonds had some games that he really put it together where he felt dialed in. I thought going back and watching him in the Baltimore Ravens game last year in the playoffs, he was excellent in that game, moving sideline to sideline. And I think that the consistency now will start to show and having Matt Milano back this year, I think continues to push that, that trending arrow through the roof for Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And again, Edmonds, he might be in the backfield more in terms of getting those tackles for loss with Latulale in front of him. But he he does so many other things. You mentioned it, going sideline to sideline. There's not a lot of linebackers built like him that can do that. He makes it harder for opposing quarterbacks in terms of the passing lanes, just with his sheer size, his wingspan, getting hands up on footballs. So those are the little things that you want to see him continue to make some strides in uh, coming into this season. But we've seen those flashes. So as you and I both agreed upon, bigger year for Ed Oliver, but it's a big year for both players. Big year for the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. We are so pumped to get this thing cranking next week in uh, training camp when it begins. Ryan's going to be up at the end of week one, so we will have full coverage every single day. Uh, I'm, I'm working on accommodations, if it works out, to do these videos right from the facility. So that will mean that they come to you quicker. Uh, right away, we'll, we'll integrate some video into the show as well. Make sure you, if you ever have questions, if there's something happening on social media that you want us to talk about right away, hit me in the DMs. Hit Ryan in the DMs. We will, we will come in uh, looking to cover whatever you guys want covered, whatever questions that you have for us. We are there. We are a, a tool for you guys to use. We're so excited about that. We're excited that Tops is back in the mix. Tops loves local. Tops is proud to partner with over 200 local growers to supply Tops with their freshest homegrown fruits and vegetables. Produced, picked this morning, and they can be on your table tonight. Uh, Ryan Tablet, what do you got on tap for this weekend? Uh, we're going to get this uh, storyline series rolling on the site. Uh, what do you got coming up? Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the defensive line personally. Uh, article coming out a little bit on AJ Epinesa as well. So a lot coming out there. I know that uh, you're going to get the storyline series rolling here soon. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, everything that we talked about today, you can find in written form at the site over the next five days as we take you guys up to training camp. Uh, also, I don't know if we're going to have a companion pod for it y yet. I think we might on Monday. We'll see if we can uh, fit it into our schedule. I'm going to put out bold predictions on Monday. So it might be fun to do uh, a podcast. If you'd like a podcast on that, let us know, and we will uh, comp uh, compare uh, combine that as well. Tuesday night, Ryan. Big guess. We've been working on it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Patrick DeMarco, former Buffalo Bills fullback, is going to be on the show. If you remember, he was cut uh, pretty unceremoniously. I mean, it, you know, the, he had the injury and they uh, cut him before, you know, a couple weeks into training camp. Uh, and 
we never really heard from Patrick DeMarco. He put out a, a, a nice statement and there was a lot of, uh, you know, players that, you know, gave him a goodbye, but we n- really never heard from him. So I want to bring him on, uh, get into his story, what happened, what he's up to now. And I, I, and really there's not really anybody out there that knows this group of Buffalo Bills better, uh, was a captain on this team, knows what, you know, really is happening in that locker room, the, 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 the players and the people that, you know, all these guys are. And so I'll be interested to get his thoughts on everything that's happening there as well. Uh, so that's Tuesday night. And, uh, you know, we got some other things brewing as well, Ryan. So everybody stay tuned. All right. I thought I hit the end broadcast. I didn't. <laughs> I had a, I had a cool, like everybody stay tuned and it would have been boom. And, but no, until next time, Monday, Tuesday, make sure you keep your uh, YouTube feed uh, locked in. So it'll give you a notification. We will see you all.